I haven't felt that thing till right now. We are the new thing. We are we are happening. And I told Mr. Ordaz last week, we have school reform happening right now. Ms. Burrell blew me away because he says, look, we got 120 kids. Next year we've got 240. In four years, we've got a big chunk of the population and we can make a difference. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I never thought of it that way. This is the tool to fix whatever problems we have here. We just got to stick with it. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're talking with new tech network leaders and teachers about work being done in the El Paso Independent School District, or EPISD. In this podcast, we chat with our guests about some of the changes being implemented in this district, specifically the development of new tech network campuses and the impact it's having on teachers and students. El Paso is part of a three million person metroplex that spans the Mexican border. When you're downtown and you look south, you see Juarez, Mexico, and when you look north, you see the 7,000-foot Franklin Mountains. Over the last three years, under the leadership of Superintendent Juan Cabrera, schools have shifted away from test prep to a focus on active learning, a combination of personalized, project-based, and social-emotional learning with a district-wide commitment to dual language. One important initiative has been a partnership to develop six new schools with the new tech network, a national network of project-based schools. EPISD currently has the largest cohort of new tech schools of any district in the nation and plans to add more next year, including an all-girls STEAM tech school. In this podcast, we start by hearing some background from two leaders who work with the new tech schools in El Paso. Up first is Nick Kappelhoff, Director of District and School Development at NTN. Hi, Nick. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. If you don't mind introducing yourself to our audience and maybe giving us the uh, New Tech Network elevator pitch for those who don't know what the network is. Sure. Thanks, Emily. Uh, So I'm Nick Kappelhoff. I am a Director of District and School Development uh, for New Tech Network. Uh, and so basically what that means is um, I work with schools and districts um, who are interested in some type of redesign uh, or innovation that is specifically linked to to a vision that they have that's, that's centered uh, around deeper learning. Um, and, and, and what how the deeper learning uh, pieces of, of that district inquiry come up. Um, can often look look a little bit different. So sometimes it's about project-based learning, sometimes it's about 21st century skills, um, but everybody kind of comes to us with some type of identity around deeper learning. And so my role is really to help them um, learn about the new techno model, learn about sort of our theory of action around school transformation um, in the service of deeper learning. What that means for new tech when districts decide that they want to implement the new tech model is that we, um, we're a deeper learning model that sort of really has four elements to it. And, and the first and foremost, and, and that's really, this really is our, our sort of why we are, we, we do the work that we do is, is really to make sure that, that all students are graduating from, from public school systems with the knowledge, skills, and attributes attributes that they'll need to, to thrive in a, in a post-secondary life, whether that's college or career. Um, so that's really the sort of the North Star for us. And, and, and our, you know, college and career ready outcomes centered on student agency, oral communication, written communication, uh, content area, knowledge and thinking, and collaboration is basically the outcomes that we're te- that our schools, 
um, teach towards, assess towards, and that our students develop projects to to demonstrate understanding in those five core areas of college and career readiness. Tell us about the work in El Paso and why that community is really fit and right for this model. I've been working with El Paso Independent School District for the past, gosh, two and a half, maybe three years. So I've been part, I've basically been the project manager for New Tech within that work since it started. I think the best way to talk about it is maybe to tell a story about sort of the evolution of the work. And, and, and it's really kind of started with, um, with, you know, having a phone call with, with Juan Cabrera, the superintendent, and, and myself and, and one of our other colleagues and, and, and one of his uh, area superintendents to really kind of talk about what, what could, you know, transforming a school in services deeper learning in El Paso look like. And, and he had an idea of a school. And the more we talked and the more that we, um, that he learned about our model, uh, which also included visiting uh, a nearby school, uh, Next Gen Academy in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, when we got to Next Gen and he brought his team there, he he really realized that that deeper learning isn't isn't a reform strategy. It's not a change strategy. It's really a a next generation learning strategy that he wanted for all students. And so when he came back from that visit, he was very determined to not just make this about one school, but to really show that deeper learning is for all students. So when we sort of started that work in the first year, um, El Paso is, um, you know, like every single city, has different demographics depending upon what part of the city that you're in. And so so Superintendent Cabrera is very um, deliberate in saying that he wanted to start this work on two opposite sides of the city. So he wanted a, a west side school and he wanted an east side school, really to show the community that this this work is for all kids. He also, you know, realized as, as we we think is vital with all with you know all of the schools and districts that we work with is is the is the role that community that the community plays um, with, within an effort like this. And so he immediately sort of engaged um, you know, community business leaders, community civic leaders in, in this work and, and brought them to New Tech Schools. And, and I'll, I'll never forget this, that, uh, uh, one of the community members, at, at one of our visits. And after we toured the school and talked to students, the, the experience was so profound for him that we were doing a reflection conversation afterwards and he was literally like pounding the conference room table saying all kids in El Paso deserve to be able to learn like this. And I think that day was a real game changer in terms of rallying the community behind a strategy that helps spread deeper learning into a lot of different places. Now we'll hear from Scott Gray, director of the New Tech Campuses in El Paso. Scott was the administrator for an early college high school for five years and then wanted to lead some of the New Tech Network uh, initiative. He said he'll never go back to traditional teaching. My name is Scott Gray. I'm the New Tech coordinator. And my primary function in the district is to lead uh, the instructional and operational implementation of New Tech work here in EPISD. Um, uh, and to provide support for all the new tech administrators and new tech teachers. And, and by the way, I have the best job in the entire world. Scott visits most of the new tech campuses each week and admits that in getting started, he definitely had some trials and tribulations. I try to visit each campus at least 
once uh, a week, and that's six campuses, and we'll have eight next year. But I'll tell you, I made probably 250 mistakes as a director in my first year with implementing the program, and I learned uh, I learned a lot from that, uh, working with my team. We always talk about growth mindset and failing forward and modeling what we want our students to do, and so uh, and being transparent. And so, um, you know, we 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 made that our norm, like just being transparent and talking about sort of what we liked with projects and what we didn't like. And so, um, I quickly realized that that we sort of were trying to hit the home run every single day with PBL and our planning. And it was, you know, when you're trying to swing for the fences, you're sometimes you strike out, and we were striking out a lot. We were just putting too much pressure on ourselves and not trying to implement it slowly or, you know, let's, let's implement five things uh, and then grow from there. Why do you feel that the new tech model and maybe just specifically PBL is important for the El Paso population and the students you serve? PBL lets itself to differentiate, differentiate instruction and it's, it's, design is student-centered and student-driven and gives space for teachers to be creative and, um, and in a variety of ways. That's why I think it's important. I think, I think when, when, we, when we go into a classroom and see PBL in action, we're seeing all of those things happen. You know, there's opportunity for reflection. There's collaboration happening. There's opportunities for the many lessons. So when, when, when students aren't... Um, grasping something or they're, they're challenged, there, there's an opportunity to have a, a workshop with the teacher because of the knows and need to knows and the norms that we set in the classroom. And then, um, you know, students have voice and they have choice. If, if they want to, you know, take a project to another level, there's opportunity for that as well. And, and, and all throughout the project, there's formative assessments. So you're always checking for students, uh, checking for understanding with students. Students on the New Tech campuses have chosen to attend those academies, uh, which sometimes means leaving their peers and extracurricular activities behind. But in El Paso, most of the New Tech campuses are located on one of the larger school sites, so students benefit from having access to some of the same experiences they would have in the, uh, in the big high school. Either way, part of the work is showing students that they can have access to a different learning experience. When I was the director, I had to go out and recruit kids to come to my new tech school, right? And they're like, well, what's new tech? And why at that campus? And who are you? And so I was, I would tell my wife, man, you know, some, some middle school kids are, it's a tough crowd sometimes when you're inviting them to come to your new tech school. And so I started uh, talking about, um, I was thinking about PBL, but also thinking about that we were changing teaching and learning, and so I, I would start with, all right, guys, you know, is gymnasium full of eighth graders? I would ask them, how many of you guys play video games? You know, everybody raises their hand. Great. So, so let me let me picture this in my mind. You go to the store. You buy the video game. You get home. You take out the instruction manual. You study it. I mean, you almost memorize it because you need to know how to play this game. And then you insert the game, and then you play, right? And they were like, no, that's crazy. Like, we get home, yeah. we, we take the game out, we put it in, and we start playing. 
I was like, really? I go, but what happens when you die? Or, you know, like, the game ends. We play the game, mister. We we play it over and over and over till we get better. And we, we make adjustments. And, you know, like, we'll look up things and figure out, like, some cheat codes sometimes. And I was like, huh, do you guys approach your education that way? And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what our school is going to be about, learning this way. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where today we're talking with New Tech Network leaders and teachers in the El Paso Independent School District. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out Season 2, Episode 9, The PBL Ripple Effect, where we speak with Drew Perkins about how projects are empowering for teachers and students. Tom and Emily visited the Oso New Tech campus, which is located on the Bowie High School campus, and captured thoughts from three teachers after their first year teaching in the network. The teachers we talked to are Mauricio, uh, an art teacher who teaches uh, an art and biology combination that's really fascinating. Uh, Diego is an English teacher in a history-English combination. And Celeste, who teaches a uh, problem-based algebra course. Biology and art. What a cool mashup. Um, yeah. Is, is, this, is this the first year that you've tried anything like that? Absolutely. And I had an awesome curriculum that I was very proud of yeah. and very, I wanted to hold on to it forever. But honestly, I don't want to go back to that. I want to make this thing work because now I have a better idea of how to make it happen. You know, we don't want to do this. We'll do art this week. We'll do biology. Uh, so we've been brainstorming as we move forward. You know what? We should have done this with that. And this critical friends thing, it's it's real. And it really does help us because once I throw things out at these guys, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And it's a shame when we don't do the critical friends and you move forward with a project because you didn't have time or something, then you reflect back and, boy, I wish I could have talked to you guys. But it's always this. It's probably been an interesting year for you as an artist just to think biology is probably full of lots of new forms of inspiration for you. Right, and I have a professor at the university who teaches art education. She supervises the student teachers that are here, and I said, you know what, you need to, this is the last semester, you need to go check it out. And she was thinking like I was thinking, well, here's some artists that do biology with art. And I'm like, no, it's more pedestrian than that. You know, we start talking about carbohydrates and those basic building blocks uh, of life. You have to figure out where you throw in the art. But now I have this, I can't wait for next year because now this thing is really going to fly. I really, I've been writing notes. I had a little book there with an echo sticker on it. And every day I was like, you know what? I just had this great idea on how we're going to do this and that. I think it's going to be really integrated. and It's going to be awesome. But this year, it was a challenge. <laughs> it was separation anxiety from curriculum that I had been doing for 20, 21 years. This is my 22nd year teaching. But uh, man, I learned a lot. And I think the, for me personally, Learn enough about biology so that the kids cannot tell the difference between the biology teacher and the art teacher. And then I told Miss Gray, you know, we need to start talking about how we're going to have you do art and eventually tag team on lectures more. I like that idea. And how's the first? How's your first year going? Really interesting. I'm learning a lot about geography, and together we're trying to figure out uh, a balance. But more importantly, like it's just been. It's when we approach a lesson, it's, it's weird to have another person like, like with you and to kind of bounce ideas off of because I'm, I'm used to being so alone. What, what subjects are you combining? Um, geography and English. And uh, it, initially, you think you know 
how it's going to go, but when what we're what I'm learning a lot a little bit, a lot about is just kind of posing out posing the question and get them curious and what they take off with the questions that they ask. My geography teacher comes in and he's just brilliant with some of the things and how he works into our literature, uh, some of our poetry, some of the stories that we read, and how we kind of incorporate our settings and our knowledge of the world into what it is we're doing and how environment affects literature and the way that we see things. It's really kind of interesting. I've learned a lot. No, it's in the same way that you probably had an interesting professional experience as an artist. You probably come to see literature differently. I've had to. I've really had to. Um, for our population, when we look at the big kind of jump was um, many of our kids uh, don't read and write in Spanish, you know, or English. So coming in, there's there's a very emotionally there's a disconnect between um, between literature, reading, and writing, and kind of like who they are as people and as an education. And one of the things that I think Bowie has done very very well, and and also Newtek has done very very well, is we've created a connection between their education and the kids and who they are, and they're starting to express themselves through their education, mm-hmm. and that's really really been beautiful to see. So, algebra, you're all by yourself. I am not cool like them. But <laughs> <laughs> cool. okay. well, would you say that, that you adopted a different way to teach Oh, algebra? definitely. Well, I have a co-teacher with me, Ms. Roop. Um, so, just working with another teacher, it was like kind of... Luckily, I mean, we're like sisters. Like, they call us the math twins because, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're really working to well with each other. But I think the hardest part for me was just to mm-hmm. let go of the classroom. Because I was very, like, this is very my second year teaching, too. So I was like, no, I got to keep you here, and you need to stay here, and you need to be quiet, and you got to do this, and you got... And then and then I was so stressed for Sylvester. I remember, like, I think I broke down, like, every week. I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what is happening? And then finally, like, second semester, I was just like, you know what? Just just let it go. Just just let it go. And I, and I let go, and it was just like beautiful like the kids were working here and then they were expressing here and then this one was helping over here and it, it was just the point that I was literally just a facilitator like I just I it, it was the kids helping each other it's the kids answering their own questions and you know self-guiding them so I think that was my biggest thing where it was just like just letting go and just saying that it's okay like let them take over the learning I'm seeing where where new tech is different it's the critical thinking that we're building within them. Not so much of you're solving for X and this is a quadratic and this is a linear. It's like, how are you getting to your answer? Like you gotta, you know, there's, you have all these materials and them just bringing it together. And there, there's sometimes where they tell us solutions and then we're like, how did you do it? And then they show us, we're like, me and Mr. Blue, each other were like, I didn't even think of it that way. We're like, oh, yeah, good, good, good job. Yeah, we knew that. So we're finding ourselves, like, them, like, learning from them, like, different ways and different strategies that are help or easier for them to understand than what we did. So it's been, it's been interesting. So this morning we talked about um, English learners. You must have a number of English yes. learners yes. in your classroom. Uh-huh. So how do you, how do you do well, the one thing that we had all had agreed on in the summer was that we were going to stick to English only. And um, so at the beginning, it was really hard for them to kind of break it in. So what I started to do first was like, I was like, okay, this is on a slope. And they tell me in English. And they would tell me in Spanish. I'm like, okay, now say it in English. I say slope. Okay. And I would go back. What is this? And they would tell me again. I was like, no. I was like, tell me in English. Oh, slope. 
So then it just got it. It just re- re- repeated with the, with itself. And then when the kids were explaining at the beginning more of a Spanish, I'm like, okay, now you repeat back what he said in English. Halfway through the year, you know, we were just we weren't seeing the uptick. So we took a, a trip to an elementary school uh, with Miss Burrell's suggestion, and we we walked around. And we, we looked at primary education, how the teachers kind of brought that across. And because for many of our kids, when they came in, a good portion of them were reading around the fourth grade level and below. So we had to, I had to kind of like, for me, it was very difficult because I've been trained secondary. So, but secondary reading is very different from primary. So I had to go back and kind of really look at, at my process, what I was doing, you know, what that means. What's that look like at a primary level versus a secondary level? And then bring those techniques back. Well, it's our survival also, yeah. because the biology <laughs> test, it's basically an English comprehension test. Yeah. How well do you understand these sentences? And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that I focused on, like, man, I don't know the answer to this, but do you understand what the question is? Explain, mm-hmm. me, explain to me what this question means. And then I explain it how it's related to the project we're working on, because there's a big disconnect, even for us. Right. I got a master's, and I see the content, but I still don't get that question. Yeah, exactly. every single test, even exactly. the math test, is an English right. test. You know, and we, when we were evaluating the kids in their reading level, we were we were noticing that anything beyond, you know, maybe a ten word sentence, anything that wasn't simple, our kids were losing the yeah. the meaning of it. They couldn't track through the subject and the verb, so they were getting lost in it. So we had to take it back and then kind of show them that, and then just build up, and it started to click. People, yeah. Kids started to really the light started to come on. They started to really understand a lot more of what they were reading. I think that daily exchange with Echo mm-hmm. and the bell ringer, right. and when he tells us how to phrase these uh, questions or the prompts, I think that's one of the big milestones. Once everybody started doing that, uh, these kids, you know, I had a little girl. She was taking the benchmark, uh, and it was the algebra one. And at some point, she just started uh, breaking down and crying. But then the other day, she was up there presenting in English, and Miss Gray and I were like, Oh my God! <laughs> She's telling this stuff to us in English, man, and mm-hmm. I think it's empowering. It's kind of like a professional so much English and then conversational Spanish. So when I'm in there, mm-hmm. it's Spanish. Okay, so what are you guys working on? Do you know what you're doing? Is this it? And then it just switches because this language that we have created here is calor, this Chicano language. It's constantly in, in the two languages, mm-hmm. right? But now it's like, okay, if we're talking about the thing we're going to present and the way we're going to write this, we're speaking in English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking about, hey, you need to start getting your own time and make sure you do this, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes like the Spanish thing. But even analyzing sentences, I go word for word and, okay, that's what this says, correct? Is that right? And everybody gets it and we move on. Actually, it's become very natural now to do it. Right. Transitioning to a different model of teaching and learning can be difficult. So he asked what their biggest challenge had been in the first year. I think a lot what was me was basically letting go, but I learned a lot about myself during this. Like I was very like, you know, to myself and then when I would take criticism, like I would just take it to heart. Like and I would just cry. Like I would I would cry in meetings all the time and stuff. But then now it's just I understand it as like they were developing me. You know, there's stuff that like I didn't do before. Like data, for instance. Like before, I was just like, whatever. And then now I'm like a data like eater. I'm like looking like, okay, look at this and then this. I'm like, okay, now we're improving there and stuff like that. So it's just, I just developing myself. Like I, I just found who I want to be as a, as not just a teacher, but now as a facilitator. Um, for me, it's just been my driving question. Kind of having that one idea and focusing on really getting the kids connected uh, personally to what it is that we're doing. 
so that whatever it is they do, whatever it is we're doing, it's a reflection of who they are as a person. So that when somebody expresses an essay, writes a story about a member of their family, or you know, kind of reads something and tells me their notes, I'm really getting a good reflection of who that person is, and I can create a connection with them. So that if I tell them, like, you know what, let's, let's tweak this or let's do this, they're not taking it so much as a criticism, but so much as, like, an aid for them to help grow and to refine what it is that they're saying. And in that regard, we're not just building, like, the English or secondary language acquisition, but relationships and who that person is. For me, it was about letting go uh, and just working with people. Our teachers are isolated. <laughs> they work by themselves. We know this whole community. We know the artists in this neighborhood. We do murals, uh, community action projects with my partner, Susan Hassan. And now we're working with these, who are these people? But I worship these people now. These are the greatest teachers, the most dedicated people I've ever met. We had a cookout on Saturday because we had a, a tutoring. It was packed full of people very attentive and caring. And then these guys show up, set up a grill. And I'm like, I was at Guillen in 1995 when they reconstituted that place. And they offered 5,000 bucks for anybody willing to work there. I grew up there. I went to that school and that's my first teaching job. It felt, that energy was amazing. And I told them, I haven't felt that thing till right now. We are the new thing. We are, we are happening. And I told Mr. Ordaz last week, we have school reform happening right now. Ms. Burrell blew me away because he says, look, you got 120 kids. Next year, we've got 240. In four years, we've got a big chunk of the population and we can make a difference. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I never thought of it that way. This is the tool to fix whatever problems we have here. We just got to stick with it. So to me, that's, I just pray that we can stick with it at least five, six years. And I think we'll have launch and we'll have a transformed uh, campus, mm -hmm. you know, and this is my neighborhood. And I really care about these people. And this is the plan. Thanks to Nick Kappelhoff, Scott Gray, and the team at Oso New Tech for speaking with us today. To Emily Liebtag for great interviews and podcast production. Be sure to subscribe to the Getting Smart Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. While you're there, don't forget to rate us and share our channel on whatever social networks you use. For more on all things innovative in learning, be sure to check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Tom. And Kat. Signing off.